We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Very good. It's great to be here and uh, yeah, great to be sharing with you all today and tomorrow, which is just fantastic. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, yeah, as, as Ben said, we pastor a church in Murray Bridge and uh, Murray Bridge has been labelled a few times in the media the ice capital of Australia and uh, so that brings with it some different challenges, different things that take place. Uh, the way that we passed is probably a little bit different <coughs> than what you might expect. Sometimes on a Saturday night I could be out busting up drug parties or doing different things, um, uh, getting kids out of situations and different things that maybe they shouldn't be in. And um, yeah, so my wife and I have been married for uh, 20 years, um, and uh, we have 32 kids. Doesn't my wife has, have an amazing figure for having 32 kids? <laughs> uh, but uh, we haven't been able to have kids of our own, but God has um, brought uh, young people along our path. And uh, again, I really feel that I'm not the greatest preacher in the world, I'm not the greatest leader in the world, but most of my ministry doesn't actually happen on a platform that happens in my kitchen as I'm sharing with people and, uh, you know, young ones. And uh, <coughs> I'm really excited that um, here at, uh, at uh, your peninsula with us, uh, we've got eight young people, two dogs that have come along with us. And uh, one's a 14-year-old girl who's, like, come along to our youth group probably four times. And... Uh, there was a domestic violence situation just a couple of days before we left and so we just went in and got her out and she's with us. And uh, so I'm just really excited to see, you know, her progress over the last couple of days just being here and around some of our other amazing young people. But that's kind of us. That's who we are. That's what we do. And uh, so hopefully you get something out of what I've got to uh, share tonight. Uh, it's going to be a bit teachy, so if you've got, you know, a notepad and pen, if you want to take some notes and do some different things, hopefully you'll get some uh, some practical things uh, out of what I've got to share. And so, you may or may not have heard that there's this uh, book, it's a famous book uh, by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And uh, one of those key things, one of those key habits is to always uh, start with the end in mind. And so as we're looking at this idea of lifting the lid and uh, in this post-pandemic era, I guess there's a great opportunity, I think, that we have as the church to actually start again, to actually start to build the church again, to build our communities and so again, as we start to build again, maybe in a new way, in a different way, in a way that we haven't before, we need to build with the end in mind. What are we building? What kind of church do we want to see? Jesus spoke about this too in, in Luke 14. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you sit down first and figure how much it will cost? Then you will see whether you have enough money to finish it. Suppose you start building and aren't able to finish it. Then everyone will say, 
who sees it will see what you have done and will laugh at you. They will say, this person started but wasn't able to finish. We need to count the cost. We need to start with the end in mind. We need to build the church that Christ wants to build. But before we can even count the cost, we need to actually work out what kind of church. What does it need to look like? Is it going to be big? Is it going to be small? Is it going to be fancy? Is it going to be ornate? Is it? There's all sorts of different ways that we can build the church and all are beautiful and all are valid. But what's God calling you to do in your community? My wife, she loves very beautiful but impractical things. Any other guys in the room know what I'm talking about? <coughs> Her latest thing is, is that she wants like a fountain in our driveway. I'm just like... <coughs> It's not, it's not practical at all because we have so many people live with us. We've got like, how many people have we got living with us currently? We've got three, four, we've got five different people, two dogs living with us. All the church buses and things live in our driveway. And so it's not practical to just put a fountain in. And so I always kind of say, form follows function. And so like the, you know, the driveways for parking cars, we can't have, you know, so form follows function. And so we need to work out when we're looking to build, rebuild, lift the lid on what church is and what it could be, we need to ask, what is the function of the church? What are we actually called to do? What are we called to build? What is our function? What is our purpose? Again, Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. No mere human has showed you this. My Father in heaven showed it to you. Here is what I tell you. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be strong enough to destroy it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. What you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven. So we get to build, we, us in this room, get to build what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. And he says he's giving us the keys, that he's given us the keys in his word. But of course what we're building is not an actual building, as amazing as this building is, and it houses the people of God, but that's not what the church is church is an understanding of who Christ is and what he came for so if we want our local churches to be part of this global universal eternal church that Jesus is building then we need to build according to the blueprint that he used and set down for us but what is that what does that look like so I've entitled my message, Kingdoms versus Empires. Because sometimes in order to help know what you are or define what you are, you first have to define what you are not. So churches can either build dynasties, 
empires or kingdoms. Now, a dynasty, for those that maybe haven't heard that word before, a dynasty is where like a single family line rules for many generations. In churches, this happens where a denomination is upheld above all else. So rather than people identifying as Christian, people say that they are Pentecostal or Lutheran, or Baptist, which has more to do with style than anything else. And so really what you're upholding, what you're building, is a style which is upheld even above Christ. So if you set out to build a dynasty, what you are building is a system of conformity, where policies and procedures actually rule. And people are accepted as long as there is compliance. But whenever there is compliance, there is no creativity, there is no innovation. An empire, on the other hand, is where one person rules over multiple countries. Like here in Australia, we are self-governing, but we are part of the British Empire. So the Queen's official title is this. This is a bit of a mouthful. Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom, of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. That's her actual title. So we are in the Commonwealth under the British Empire. We are a nation that is ruled by someone else. And in the church world, there are many people that are trying to build their own empires. We want control over as much territory as we can, and we often do the same as individuals. We, decide for, we want to decide for ourselves where we will go, what we will do, how we will spend our money. And so... As long as it's going to benefit us, directly benefit us, then it, or it's for our enjoyment, we will continue to invest into that thing because it builds our empire. And we have individuals that attend church this way. As long as they're playing my favorite music at the exact volume that I like, where I can catch up with my friends and serve in a way that benefits me or that I can get that Instagram post that's going to make me look good. And they use my favorite scripture verses and different things like that. As long as it builds my empire, I'm happy to keep coming and happy to keep serving. And even for me as a senior pastor, I have the final say over how the church looks. Maybe you as a department head or a leader, maybe you have the final say over how your department is run or the different things that are in your care. And the temptation can be to build the church in our image and our likeness, the things that we like because we're building our empire. When we use 
the empire model, when we use the empire blueprint in building, the tendency is that we build towards gifts instead of towards fruit, which Josh Greenwood talked about last night. What do I mean by that? Well, <coughs> let's have a listen again to what Jesus himself said in Matthew 7. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their gifts. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good person bears good gifts, but a bad person bears bad gifts. A good person cannot bear good gifts, and a bad person cannot bear good gifts. Every person that does not bear good gifts is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their gifts, you will know them. Is that actually what it says? No, but it's kind of how we think sometimes, isn't it? Particularly for me, in a Pentecostal church, we kind of think, well, who's the up-and-coming leaders? Who, who are we going to build this thing with? We look for the people with the, the good gifts. If someone has the gift of, of prophecy, if someone has the gift of, you know, speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit, then they've got good gifts. And so we want to build the church based on good gifts. We promote those people. We give them platform because they've got good gifts. But have a listen to what it says in Romans 11.29. It says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Or another version puts it, God's gifts and calling can't be taken back. What does that mean? It means that we can't reproduce them. We, can't, we can choose whether we use them or not. But if God's not going to take them back because He's a good God, it also means that we can still operate in those gifts even if we've walked away. It means we can use the Spirit without actually having the Spirit. God doesn't take the gifts back, no matter how bad we are, which is great for us as individuals, but terrible if that's what we've been looking to, to build the empire. So what then can we build on? What do we build with? What grows? What is sweet? What contains the seeds that enable it to reproduce after its own kind. What did belong in that verse? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5 tells us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is what we need to grow in. This is what we need to feed on, to build on. This is where we need to lead people 
to and what we look for in future leaders. You see, I'm not looking for the most gifted people to become leaders. Because you can't lead what you don't love. So I need people who are growing in love. I'm also not looking for critics who are very good at just pulling everything down, this whole deconstructionist viewpoint. If we're looking to build the kingdom according to God's blueprint, then we can't just look to people that are so good at just deconstructing everything and pulling everything down. I'm looking for people that are filled with joy about what God has done, expectant about what He is going to do. I'm not looking for busy people that are weighed down by responsibility. I'm looking for people who are walking in the peace and patience of the Lord. I once had a guy come and uh, he'd been in our church for about six months and he said, I think it's about time you put me on the worship team. And I said, oh, like, like, why is that? And he said, well, well he's like, I've, I've been to lots of churches and obviously you don't know the rule, so let me tell you the rule. He said, I've been here for six months now. I, I stand behind you during the worship and I sing really loud so you can hear how good I am. I waited my six months, that's kind of the rule, and then you put me on the platform. And so I said, well, I can see that he was gifted, he could sing pitch perfect, and if I was building an empire, I would need another singer, I would, you know, looks good on the, the live stream, looks good on the Instagram, have, an, have, another, have another singer, but was there fruit in his life to build the kingdom? Did he love people? I didn't say no because I, I never say no. I, I have this idea that, you know, in God's garden of grace, even broken trees can bear good fruit. And so I said, I want you to grow in love for the people that you want to lead in worship. But sadly, he chose to leave and go to the next church where hopefully they would give him that platform that he wanted. You see, if the gifts are given without repentance, but fruit must be grown, then it is possible to speak in tongues or give a prophetic word without the Holy Spirit being active in someone's life. In other words, you can build an empire without having the Spirit. Yet, if a 17-year-old boy went three weeks without looking at porn, where ordinarily he looked at it every day, he could not do that without the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in his life. 
He needed that self-control that the Holy Spirit brings. So do I want him to stay there? No, I don't. The fruit needs to continue to grow. But can you see the mindset change that we need to have when it comes to building according to God's blueprint, building the kingdom rather than building our empire? We don't aim for finding a perfect prophet or a trained teacher or the wisest worship leader and then just give them leadership. Aim to find people that are more loving today than they were yesterday. Aim to find someone who will be more patient tomorrow than they were today as the fruit grows in their life. You see, churches that set out to build empires become numbers focused. They become money focused and the people become useful objects to get them what they really want, which are subjects in order to build their empire. But what if when we come to count the cost, look at the design of the church that Jesus would build, we actually see it's not about an empire or a dynasty, but his kingdom. What does that look like? Because a kingdom seems like it's the smallest one of those three. You know, dynasties stretch generations and empires stretch borders. So surely those things are are bigger and if we just want bigger, then won't we go for those models? But how are those models actually built? How do they become bigger? Well, they're actually built through separation. So a dynasty is built on a time separation because it spans multiple generations, so it involves ruling people from generations other than your own. Christians that set out, pastors, leaders that set out to build dynasties build separated by time and so they become disconnected from the current culture and they fail to engage emerging generations. Building a dynasty means holding on to power across generations. But building the kingdom means there should always be a constant flow from one generation to the next. God addressed this when he was establishing the Levitical priesthood. He gave this directive to Moses right at the very beginning in Numbers 8. It says, The the Lord also instructed Moses, This is the rule that the Levites must follow. They must begin serving in the tabernacle at age 25, and they must retire at the age of 50. After retirement, they may assist their fellow Levites by serving as guards at the tabernacle, but they may not officiate in the service. This is how you must assign the duties to the Levites. So they were to directly minister for 25 years, one generation. Then their role needed to change. Still important, still valued, still needed in the temple, still needed in the church, but their role needed to change from priest to guard. 
what does that look like? 1 Corinthians 4 says this, For you have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became a father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul is saying here what I believe we are still experiencing in church today. That if everybody just wants to get into that top role and remain in that top role until they die, trying to build a a dynasty, trying to to lead a cross-generation, there will be no fathers. And if we're going to lift the lid on the way we do things, we need to transition from being priests to being guards, from being leaders to being fathers and mothers. And what the emerging generation is lacking more than anything is fathers and mothers. It's been a a blessing. I I didn't see it at the time, but because my wife and I haven't been able to have kids of our own, to call all of these young people our kids, to 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 have that father's heart, that that mother's heart, to see them grow up and do better than what we did, to transition from me being in control and in charge all the time to actually saying, you have gifts, you have talents, we're getting you ready, that at the age of 25, we want you to be flying, we want you to be planting churches. So we can't just sit back and and wait and kind of go, okay, at the age of 25, we'll kind of start to see if you're still a Christian by that stage. We'll kind of, we'll wait to see, you know, you've gone to uni, we'll wait to see if you come back. The ones that come back, maybe we'll invest into them. It's too late. If they're going to be ready to be a priest at 25, if they're going to be ready to lead churches and lead our nation and lead these different places, they need to be trained well and truly before they're 25. Psalm 145 says this, each generation will announce to the next your wonderful and powerful deeds. So what's your training program for under 25s? So dynasties are built on a time separation. Empires are built on a proximity separation. As the song goes, I don't know why, we never ever say this word anywhere else, but, you know, in our national anthem it says, Australia is girt by sea. Girt. Girt. Who's ever used the word girt apart from singing the national anthem? We're separated. There's a separation between us where we are in Australia and the queen, the queen doesn't live here. And so if it ever came down to her, if she was to make, had to make a decision between us and England, because of where she lives, she's obviously going to choose that. There's this separation by proximity. And so we too in the church world, if we're trying to build an empire... 
build in separation by proximity. We make others call us pastor. We make sure that we demand, you know, respect and honour and dignity because of the position or the title that we have because we're building our empire. We are seen as more holy, more spiritual than anybody else. We can't have friends within the church. We can't share our struggles and our weaknesses. Our decisions are not to be questioned. Because the church is built and grown by this proximity separation, creating distance between us and them. So remember I said at the beginning that sometimes to help define what you are, you first have to define what you are not. So if we're not going to build my empire, if we're not going to build our dynasty, but if we are going to build his kingdom, what does that look like? We simply need to do the opposite. We need to build in time. We need to spend time with people. We need to build in proximity, in closeness, in intimacy. This is the type of kingdom that Jesus wants built. In John 18, again, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. So we can't measure things the normal way that the world does. If we can have that picture up, the next picture up, thanks. This is kind of the way the world likes to build things. This is a normal business structure. And so as you go up that chart, the power and the control increases and the number of people kind of decrease and the more customers you have, And the more money they spend and the bigger products or the whatever you can get, then the more important, the more power and control the CEO at the top has. So you have a CEO and a manager and employees and then customers. And so it's built upon taking things from other people. And the more other people you can have, the more people down the bottom then the bigger your building, the bigger your structure is, the more power and control you have. And if we're not careful, we can do the same in church world. If we can have that next one up, we just simply change the titles. There's a leader, there's a manager, there's a pastor, and there's the, there's the people. But Jesus' kingdom, we said, is not of this world. So if we're going to build according to his plan, according to his model, we need to do things differently. And in Matthew 20, again, he says, those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. He said, you know about the rulers of the Gentiles. They hold power over the people. Their high officials order them around. Don't be like that. Instead, anyone who wants to be important among you must be your servant. 
And anyone who wants to be first must be your slave. Be like the Son of Man. He did not come to be served. Instead, He came to serve others. He came to give His life as the price for setting many people free. So we need to actually flip things on their head if we can go to that next one. Where if you want to be a, a leader, we must serve. So as we go down now, instead of power and control increasing as we go up, as we come down, there needs to be more support and more development. That's the job of the leader. We still need managers. We need pastors. We need them to be in contact with the people. I'll talk more about those terms tomorrow, those leader, manager, pastor roles and what they look like within the church. But we said that his kingdom looks differently from building a business. So the kingdom builds in time and builds in proximity, which equals love. So this conference, as we said, is about lifting the lid. So what does that look like? How has the church operated in the past? If we can have that next slide up. If we're looking at this idea of a 25-year generations and the different ways that maybe churches have been run or operated, if we look back 50 years and the way that churches were run, it was all about the law. All about the Ten Commandments, how you follow the law, and the way that we would build a dynasty was through law. Then we kind of moved to this next generation where it was all about the work of the Holy Spirit. You got like, you know, the Holy, we need to do away with those laws and we're just going to move with the Spirit and we're just going to do things that the, the way that the Spirit leads us. So we can go to the next one. <coughs> so generation one is system-led. There's systems, there's liturgy. We do this, we say the Lord's Prayer, we follow this. And then we moved into this time of spirit-led. But what's this next generation? If we're getting ready to lift the lid, if we're getting ready to build again, what is coming next? What is coming now? Well, I believe if we can go to the next one, yeah. The next generation, the emerging generation, is looking for, for love. They're looking for servant-led church. Again, it's not this deconstructivist thing where we just kind of say, well, all power and all control is wrong, and so therefore we're just going to deconstruct everything. We're just going to pull everything down. It's not about a deconstruction of power. It's about a dissemination of power. It's about empowering that next generation with love and with resources and with the things that they need as we serve them. Maybe you've heard in this post-pandemic era about this thing called the Great Resignation where people are leaving jobs en masse 
And sadly, many churches are experiencing this too, where people are just not coming back. They're not seeing it as important anymore. I think one of the things that causes people to leave jobs, leave callings, leave ministries more than anything is when there is a difference between responsibility and authority. Oftentimes, leaders want to give people under them responsibility because responsibility is the heavy stuff that weighs us down. But we want to keep the authority because the authority kind of makes us who we are. But if someone is responsible for something and they have no authority to change it, it'll lead to burnout so fast. So in our church, the two people that this is hardest for is my 2RC and my wife because they feel almost the full weight of responsibility for the church. But because of their roles, they don't have equal measure of authority to change things. So I have to work really hard at making sure that I'm delegating authority. So pray for us. Pray for us that we will be surrendered first and foremost to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit brings and maintains that unity. Just as I'll be praying for you and your teams. We need, as I said, not that deconstruction of power, but the dissemination of power, the empowerment of others. This is the blueprint for building the kingdom by giving them time, proximity, and authority. A few years ago, my second in charge prophetically said over our church, God will bring in as many people as we can effectively love. That's the only cap. That's the only limit to it. God has said that he will build his church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. If the gates of hell won't prevail against it, then there's no limit to what he wants to build other than us putting a limit on how much we can love. And I think that the fact that people are leaving churches in this post-pandemic era is a combination of three factors. One, that entertainment and acceptance was mistaken for love which was never there. People were coming to churches to be entertained and when the entertainment left, so did they. Secondly, leaders' capacity to love could not stretch across opinion. So as opinions diverged, vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask, love became exclusive and limited to the people who had the same opinion as me. So everyone with a different opinion left. 
But then thirdly, I think people's requirement for love increased as it became scarce. They're not getting love from this place. They're not getting love from that place. And so love started to become scarce. So we could complain about that. We could blame others like the government for it. We could get depressed about it. We could assume responsibility for it. We could seize hold of this unlimited opportunity to lift the lid on the way that church is done, on how loving we actually are. As the church emerges again as the only genuine, eternal, unlimited, all-inclusive source of love in an ever-increasingly love-starved world. God has given us the keys to build His kingdom. You see, on the cross, we see that Christ took full responsibility for our sins, which should have been none of His responsibility, and then delegated all authority to us. I give you the keys. So to be unlike the world, delegating responsibility and holding on to authority, but instead being like Christ, delegating authority whilst holding responsibility, this is what is going to lift the lid. This is what it means to be a father, a guard. This is what it means to build according to God's blueprint of love to a generation that is looking for something, passionately looking for something that they are willing to die for. But we have someone who's already died for them. We just need to introduce them to him. Would you stand and let me pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it is a blueprint on how to build, on how to lift the lid. Father God, we're sorry for every time we've tried to build a dynasty, try to build an empire when all along we could have been joining with you and building your kingdom. Not about a name, not about a denomination, not about holding on to power and control. Father, building according to the plan that you set down, building in love, building in proximity, in time. Lord, I, 
I want to thank you for this conference where we can take time to be with you. We can get so busy. We can get so scared and so fearful trying to hold on to the little bit that we have that we forget who you are and what you bring. Your love is unending. Your provision is unlimited. Your grace is unsurpassed. Father God, we thank you that you're as close to us as we choose to let you in right now. Father, we thank you for the awesome, awesome opportunity that lays before us to be light in a dark and broken, hurting world to be salt where the flavor of love has dissipated. Father, we thank you that you are lifting the lid, revealing who you are, the kind of church that you want to build. Father, I just pray that right now you just place dreams and visions in the hearts and minds of precious people that are right here in this room right now. Dreams and visions of the church that you want. Not a building, not bricks and mortar, but Lord, the precious peoples of our communities. Finding life, finding hope, finding truth in you. Give us dreams and visions, God. Give us your blueprint of how you want to build. Father, we just thank you and Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. It says in 1 John, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not know God, does not love, does not know God, for God is love. You know, God wants to do incredible things in our regions, in our communities and churches, but it's got to be rooted in love. Love for one another, love for God. You know, this conference is inspiring, encouraging, and the core of it has got to be love. And it's selfless, isn't it? And we had Eldon up here, and I love you, mate. And uh, the reason why the blokiest blokes on the York Peninsula 
sit there and listen here because he's got time for them. He's got proximity, he's got closeness for them and he loves them. And that's what our world doesn't give each other at the moment is everyone's busy, everyone's got stuff on, it's, it's about you. It's a, and it should be no surprise to us because the cross is called, it's the perfect illustration of God's love. This is real love that he laid down. It's selfless, real love. And if we want our communities transformed, if we want our families, our churches, it, the, the core of it is love. Selfless love. And yeah, sometimes that's tricky. That's when you get close to God because God is love. So God, let us pray. Fill us with your love. Let us understand it. Let us experience it more and more and more and more and more and more. So we can love others. I pray for every church, every region, every town represented here tonight. And I pray for your love to flow out in abundance. I pray for the, the Christians across our peninsula, across our state. Let them be filled with your love and let them carry your love to those who we meet. Because that's how you build your church. And this isn't our church, it's your church, God. So let it be in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Josh? How's that?